0: IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello, everyone, and welcome to IndieCast. On this show, we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode, we will be reviewing new albums by St. Vincent and the Black Keys. Unfortunately, not together, they're apart on these records. My name is Stephen Haydn, and I'm
1: joined by my friend and co-host Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? How am I doing? I'm just basking in the afterglow of the week that ska broke, man, like we got madness on late night shows, uh you know, people complaining that we've overstepped by trying to bring ska back into uh the cultural discussion, yes. man, and I'm just like kicking back and. It's appreciating a job well done, man. I don't know about you. <laughs> Can I just say, like, uh, did did you just make an Everclear reference at the top
0: of the? You no, know, that's that's did so. You, uh, I, that I, is so you... much
1: for the afterglow, and you might combine it with Oso Oso's basking in the glow. Neither of which are ska. I'm sure Everclear at some point. I feel like Everclear had to have played around with ska at some point. They're a Southern California band, uh, but no, that was just uh, that was just me literally. I just hear Afterglow, and I immediately go to Everclear, and then I start thinking about
0: how uh, my father was uh, not a good man, and uh, I, I just want to hear songs about fathers, uh, about <laughs> how, how bad your father is. and. Oh, uh,
1: cool. Well, I got an episode for you about that. <laughs> What's that? Dude, we're talking about a new St. Vincent album. Oh, that's how the right. Went- Ah, oh, dude, that was that was an alley oop for you right there, Steve. That
0: was man. I was totally blanking. I didn't. I wasn't thinking of that. You know, this is a great week uh, for <laughs> album title names, by the way. because yeah. We have we have "Daddy's Home" by Saint Vincent. We have "Delta Cream" with a K. By, yeah, with a K by the Black Keys. Uh, S- uh, Slater Kinney uh, announced a new record yeah. this week called "Path of Wellness," which sounds like a salon slash like massage place that you would go to like you'd, you'd get your mom for mother's day a gift certificate to path of wellness where she could go <laughs> have a, she could go treat herself uh but that's the name of the new slater kinney record uh i mean i saw people talking about this online there's a very pointed uh note in the press release that this album was self-produced and i don't know if if, if people are reading into that if they feel like oh is this like a a subtweet of St. Vincent because she famously <laughs> produced their previous record uh, and there was some drama involved in that. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I doubt yeah. that's the case. Yeah, but, I don't know uh,
1: because like that would be the two like that would be the two uh, members of Slater Kinney who stayed in the band like Janet Weiss the drummer left the band many people assume because uh, you know she was um, you know bristling uh, with uh, Saint Vincent's input, and she left the band, went I believe to reform Quasi or something like that. But yeah, I do. I definitely do think. Yeah, it's self-produced. Like the you know, it's it's like when Poochie gets kicked off The Simpsons. Uh, you know, Saint Vincent <laughs> had to go back to her home planet or something like that. So, did you listen
0: to that single? That Slater yeah, single. I What'd did. You think?
1: Um, it definitely sounds like. I mean. I am by no means an expert on this band, but like you could definitely, you could definitely tell that uh, it's either with a session drummer or um, you know with 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 a drum machine. And I don't, it's kind of chill. It's it's I could hear it. I I could literally hear it in a place, a store called Path of Wellness. And I don't know. (laughs) I I don't necessarily think that like is a critique of it. Like I don't like maybe that. Maybe it would be kind of. All right to like listen to a more kind of chill and vibey Slater-Kinney album. Maybe that's a new yeah. vibe for them. You know? like we're I don't getting know. On I mean, the yeah,
0: yeah, I was trying to figure out if it was a drum machine. I mean, because I, it, it kind of sounds like a drum machine, but yeah, or else it, if it's a live drummer, it's a pretty chill drummer. I know for yeah. me, Janet Weiss was my favorite part of Slater-Kinney. Like, uh-huh. I love her as a drummer. Um, so taking her out of the band, it really does compromise... My enjoyment of Up Slater Kenny. I mean, you mentioned how this single from Path of Wellness could play inside of a place called Path of Wellness. <laughs> I'm also thinking about our previous conversation about like CVS Rock. Yes, this could be the first Slater Kenny song that you could hear in a CVS, Walgreens, Whole Foods. Yeah, which. At this point, we'll just say that as an observation, not as a compliment or a criticism it's a it's a you know uh, I guess a judgment neutral uh determination of that song. but yeah, I don't know i I mean they're the the last record that they did, the St Vincent produced record, yeah. I didn't really like that at huh. all. I thought there were some pretty embarrassing songs on that record. Yeah, it would be, um, ki- it would be kind I of an
1: I- it would be kind of an irony if like after they made what was seen as large like a pop move by bringing Slater Kennedy in the fold, like they make a self produced album that ends up like getting them in CVS or something like that, you know. But I think that kind of speaks more towards this idea of like what we're going to discuss later on, like whether like Saint Vincent is actually like a pop savant that um, she's trying to like portray herself as in you know recent years,
0: you know. Uh do we have anything to say about the rock and roll hall of fame? Is that You do you vo- in?
1: you voted man.
0: <laughs> I know I voted. Uh two of the people I voted for got in. I voted for Tina Turner and I voted for Todd Rundgren. They got in. The oh. other people that got in uh, it was Carol King, the Foo mm. Fighters got in. Jay-Z Which of course they were going to get in. You know yeah. they were gonna get it. They were like the one '90s act <laughs> that got in because he yeah. had Rage Against the Machine, Mary J. Blige. Oh, I get Jay Z got into. Yes, so he's he's the other one. Yeah, uh, of I, our generation that got in. I guess. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about Foo Fighters getting in first ballot?
1: I mean, they're there all the time, anyway. Like, why not just like make it official? You know, it's like, <laughs> like Dave, Dave Dave Grohl has been like on lease to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, ever since 2000, let's say. You might as well just like hand him the keys. It's like, it's yours. And I mean, like, the last it, thing What's we curious wanna... about that, though, is
0: that like Tom Morello is also really involved in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's he does a lot of things with, uh, I feel like he's in Rolling Stone a lot. He's, Played with Bruce Springsteen, Yeah. you know. Rock, I feel like he's also icon. <laughs> and and Rage didn't get in. I think, and I think they've been nominated a couple of times now, and they they still haven't gotten in. I mean, I think this class was actually pretty loaded. Uh-huh. Um, I know, as someone who did vote, I this was a ballot where. Uh, I felt like uh, you could have voted for anyone and felt justified. There was there was no like Bon Jovi in this class. You know, there wasn't like a, a like an act that you just kind of roll your eyes at. Like why are they being nominated? Um, so you know, like Kate Bush didn't get in. I thought she might get in because she's yeah. had a lot of like recent. Uh, <laughs> I feel like her. Status has ascended dramatically in the last yeah. 10 to 15 years. Uh, I mean, you listen to modern indie rock, and she's like a foundational yeah. influence at yeah. this point. But yeah, the New York Dolls didn't get in. I mean, there were like some great people that didn't get in. Uh, but yeah, Rage hasn't gotten in yet. I'm a little surprised that it's taken this long for them. Yeah. I assume it will happen eventually with them. I, it seems like a matter of time. But yeah, the, it's like Dave Grohl gets to walk in immediately. Tom Morello has been... I feel like sucking up to the right people for a while now and it hasn't paid off.
1: Yeah. I, I, I have no idea about like the mechanics of the rock and roll hall of fame. Um, You know, I, I know that like most hall of fames get to a certain point where it's like, Oh, let's just let this guy get in. And you know, like, I don't want to like get into the big, like sports culture crossover of like, you know, Harold Baines finally getting into the hall of fame. It's like, I grew up like you know aware of harold baines i don't recall ever like being oh yeah that's a hall of famer right there but you know with foo fighters i'm and also like i just want to like get back like bon jovi's got like major hits like i think it would be i would not be mad if bon jovi got in well they did get in oh they did they got in a few years ago yeah so shows what i know yeah i mean
0: yeah and i you know Lest anyone think that I'm just being mean to Bon Jovi. I agree with you. There there's some good Bon Jovi songs. They're like a great karaoke band, I think.
1: They got uh, more they the got, got more hits than is. the New
0: York dolls, man. I'll give it that. That's true, but I don't but they also have tons of terrible music. I mean, come on. Let, let's be I know that you and I are defenders <laughs> of like critically maligned artists, but like even some of their hits are, are terrible. Like It's My Life. Is a terrible song, like 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 Frankie said, I did it my way. It's like, oh my god, that line uh, okay. Is so I
1: I always thought it said like Frankenstein, I did it my way, which is a way better <laughs> lyric. So you've really you've like broken the spell for me now that like I know what he's actually saying. This song actually does. This song does suck now. Thanks fucking lot, Steve. So you thought John Bon Jovi was tipping the cap to Frankenstein for being
0: an iconoclast? And uh, doing it his way, but no, I, I mean, you could be right, but I'm pretty sure it's um, Frankie, almost, as if yeah. Frank Sinatra is singing like "My Way" because that's a Frank Sinatra song. So, oh. and Frankenstein really didn't do it his way because he was made by Doctor Frankenstein. I guess he claims his agency in the story because he ends up going nuts. They lose control of, Fr- so I guess he eventually does it his way. I don't know. I'm I'm. I feel like the rest of the episode should just be us extrapolating Frankenstein in the context of a Bon Jovi song. I'm I'm very fascinated by this tangent. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe we should get to the rest of our episode here. Um, we have a good listener questioner this, this week. It comes from um, Tony. He lives in Revere, Massachusetts. There's actually Ooh. a town called Revere. In Ma- nice. That sounds like the most Massachusetts thing of all time, <laughs> uh, to have a town called Revere. Uh So, yes, uh, Tony, thank you for writing. This is what uh, he wrote to us. Hello, Stephen Ian. First of all, I love the podcast. And as a 44-year-old, I am the quintessential only member of a friend group that listens to indie alt-punk music. Right in the demo. All right. I like to hear that. (laughs) Um, I have barely anyone to talk to about music anymore, so the podcast fills the void. Um, Great job. Great podcast. I built you up now, so now I'm going to tear you down a bit. Guys, not a single mention of New Long Leg by Dry Cleaning. I think that this is one of the best albums since the great indie paradigm shift of 2013. That's a good reference to IndyCast right there. Yeah, good listener. He's truly truly an IndyCast head. Uh, From the first notes, I'm, I'm hooked. Something about this woman's dry British musings and non sequiturs over this very expressive music really hits me. I think it's an actual LP with a cohesive sound and point of view. Everything hinges on the vocals. If you dig them, you can love this record. If not, you'll probably hate it. Not sure where where they'll go in the future with this style of vocals, but as of right now, 2021, ending pandemic times, this is my soundtrack. I really respect your music takes and would love it if you could bring it up on the pod, even if you hate it. Thanks again, guys. Uh, Tony. So... This was a good question. I picked this one because yeah. I think he's got a good point. Dry Cleaning, uh, New Long Leg. This is like one of the bu- like big buzzy indie yeah. records of 2021. And we haven't really talked about this record specifically. We've talked a bit about yeah. this wave of British post-punk bands. By the way, I should say, I meant to say this before I read the letter. If you want to write us, we're at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Uh, crazy enough, actually saying our email address on the show led to us getting a lot of letters this week. Uh, it's funny how that happens. If you actually give your address, people will write to you. So, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to write in, adcastmailbag, uh, at gmail.com. I know, I, I know you have a lot of opinions about this, Ian, so I'll let you weigh in first. (laughs) What Uh, do you think about dry cleaning? I mean, this is a band a lot of critics love. Tony loves them. How do you feel about them?
1: I mean, I think it speaks to like 2021's kind of, uh, fallow field for buzz bands where it's like dry cleaning is considered you know the 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 epitome of like oh this is really what's popping right now um and all before we go any further one thing i need to address is that like i get a lot of shit when uh you know i say the names of e- new emo bands i love out loud or even write them like ogbert the nerd or guitar fight from Cooly fooly you know that's like when you have a band <laughs> a, when, wait wait what these are guitar all names that, from cool yes, guitar, guitar fight, fight from Cooly fooly yeah i do know that band Dude, these are all bands I've talked about in the recommendation corner of IndieCast. But, you know, like when you say that band's name, like you kind of know what you're getting into. It's like you get like a face tattoo and it's kind of dictates the sort of things that you're able to do from there on out. But and yeah, they are kind of self-consciously ridiculous. But like, is that any worse than like saying, yeah, I'm into this new band called Squid or Dry Cleaning or Pottery, you know, it's like. Maybe it's like all part and parcel of like this kind of severe post-punk aesthetic to pick the most severe and nondescript names. But anyway, like I I just have to say at first, like these band names do not sound cool. But, um, you know, one thing that Tony mentioned that we kind of had to, you know, go past in the um, in reading the letter is that, you know, he is a he considers himself a British rock person. You know, Smith, My Bloody Valentine, Shoegaze, Verve, Oasis. I love all that stuff, too. And, you know, uh, one thing I'll disagree with Tony about is that the vocals like I do understand if they seem a bit divisive, but to me that's not really what um you know takes me out of liking this album like I do think they're very distinct it's just that uh, the the it's actually the music itself it's just very generic and like I wish it was like almost like more angular to bring up like the post punk cliche it just sounds like to me there's no real songs or dynamic to it and you really do have to just like kind of sit there and um it kind of does live or die by the non sequiturs and the dry witty take on the modern absurdity of life or whatever and you know this guy mentioned block party um this is really the uh wedge point with me with the new wave of like post punk because um, when this was stuff was kind of happening in the two, early 2000s, the mid 2000s, all these bands influenced by like Gang of Four or what have you, uh, you at least can have like a band like Block Party who had that element, but also kind of wanted to be U two, uh, you know, kind of recognize that U two used to be a post punk band and had like big anthemic choruses, and I just don't hear any of that coming out of this wave. I mean, like, and don't like in the same way that like I talk about like how a lot of American indie bands like they all want to be nirvana we could use a bush we could use a filter i want like a maximo park i want an editors like just a band that makes like catchy uh shamelessly uh grandiose songs within the post-punk realm and please don't tell me shame is doing that because you know they're they i don't think they really still know how to write a big hook so i mean i can understand like when I read about well, in the context
0: of these bands, Shame <laughs> yeah. is probably the most like straightforward rock yeah. band. So yeah. I mean, I think in the analogy, like they would, I guess, be the equivalent of like the Black Party. But I agree that they aren't as good as Black Party. They haven't written <laughs> the undeniable. They haven't written a song like Helicopter or something. I mean, they they don't have like the undeniable bangers that you associate with those early aughts post punk bands. I mean. I think when we talk about dry cleaning and a lot of these like uh, British post-punk bands that that are coming out in 2021, because that does seem like one of the big narratives for indie music right now is this wave of British post-punk uh, that we're seeing. And, of course, that includes dry cleaning. You referenced Squid before. The band Pottery, which is, <laughs> I think that's a hilarious band name. Maybe not intentionally. Um, and Black Midi, who I, I imagine we'll probably talk about in, well. in a week or two when their record comes out. Um, I think there's two different conversations. There's one that's actually about like the specific record that you're talking about, in this case, New Long Leg, which I have to say that this record's really grown on me over the um, last like few weeks, month, uh, where I've really come to uh, enjoy it. And I think a lot of that does have to do with Florence uh, Shaw, who is the lead singer of the band. I think that... She really does differentiate them for me from like a lot of these bands, where typically in these bands you have like a young dude, or I guess we should say a lad, a young lad, (laughs) since these are British bands, who who uh, talks in a very exaggerated accent about uh, you know, as you said, the banalities of modern life and how this pretends the apocalypse that's on the horizon. I mean, that's all these bands usually tend to think of, like talk about, like they're very kind of Patrick Bateman in their lyrics where it's very descriptive (laughs) of like just these banal things, but they're meant to hint at something more sinister underneath, you know, in the subtext. I'm a little sick of that guy in these types of bands. I mean, I feel like I've heard that in so many different instances that hearing Florence Shaw, who is not that, it it does make dry cleaning to me feel a little fresher, yeah. uh, in this context, and and, and just generally, like, I think the music too. I think it does reveal itself to be actually more melodic over time than it does upon first listen. Like there's actually songs on there that didn't really stick with me the first couple times I listened to the record, and now I've, that I've absorbed it a little bit more, they they do stick with me a little bit more. So as far as this record goes, I'm with it. I'm I'm not as over the moon for it, as some people are, but I think it's a I think it's a good record. Um, so that's one conversation. The other conversation is, and this is something that you and I have talked about on this show, is this tendency of critics to always go for bands like this. It, it yeah. seems like whenever we talk about innovative rock music or forward thinking rock music it tends to be bands that are referencing music that originated in the late 70s and early 80s in the aftermath of the initial punk explosion. And um, there's something about the predictability of that. And I think the narrow... It just feels like a very narrow perspective. And I don't know, like, you and I have been around long enough now that we've seen a couple cycles of this yeah. already. <laughs> it, you know, it happened in the aughts, and now it's happening again in uh in 2021 and you know not to bring Greta Van Fleet into the conversation again I feel like I'm always bringing no, up this band we need to bring but Greta get, Van
1: Fleet into the conversation but again. they
0: but you know they they get ripped for being like a baldly derivative band of 70s yeah. rock music which they are I mean there's yeah. no disputing <laughs> that but a lot of these British post-punk bands that are getting great reviews they're also really derivative uh yeah. you know you mentioned Squid before I actually like that record more than you do. I've been enjoying that record uh, this week. I don't love it, but I think it's a pretty good record. It actually made me think of not so much music from the late 70s, but like music from the early aughts that referenced the music from the late 70s, Uh. like LCD Sound System, The Rapture, some of those dance punk bands, the DFA sound basically of that time where, you know, as opposed to dry cleaning, they're much more about, you know, funkiness grooves their songs go on often for seven or eight minutes um i i tend to enjoy the music of squid more than the vocals i think in a way if you just remix that record and just had the music i'd probably like that record a bit more than i do now um but yeah it's just there's just something about how critics always go for this kind of thing that i i don't know it, it bugs me a little bit but yeah. i try not to take that out on the bands themselves i think dry cleaning is a good band but the discourse around it, to me, sometimes I feel like, okay, I've been through this before. I've I've been through this cycle before. At what point does this music stop being cool? I guess you know, it's like a,
1: it's it's a true north, man.
0: I guess so. I, it it really is. But but it, it doesn't it have an expiration date at some point though? I mean, because this music is like forty years old now. Like that this that this is referencing. Um, so you would think that maybe people would start to look at it as being old hat you know and again like i like that kind of music but i'm also a guy in my 40s you know <laughs> it is a little weird that people in their 20s who were born in like 1999 or 1998 they're still going back to that and looking at that as sort of like the epitome of great rock music you know it, it's a little strange to me that that's still happening
1: yeah, but I mean, I I was really into those bands that you had mentioned before, like whether it's DFA or like the British post punk stuff, and like when I was twenty three or twenty four. And you know, like there are just certain, um, you know, there are just certain uh, genres or aesthetics that are really like a true north for critics. I mean, you could talk about like British post punk, uh, you could talk about pavement, you could talk about like kind of left of center R and I mean, those are just always going to be. Um, thing like if you can emulate that you're at least in the conversation um and you know i get it and like maybe if i were 23 i'd be like super into squid super into dry cleaning thinking about like how this stuff like expands my horizon so much further than say i don't know whatever you want to call like the uh i don't know whatever you want to like consider like the like the straight ahead alt rock thing but you know for now it's like i do have to understand like to a degree, like, I guess just let them do their thing. You know, uh, it's, it's a, it's a young person's game, uh, (laughs) trying to rewrite the narrative. But yeah, I mean, I think that I just get a little bit bummed out because like you were saying, it's like, we've seen this several cycles. It's like, I kind of judge the excitement about a new band. It's like, is this bringing anything new into the conversation or is it just like reiterating the, you know, the same best of the seventies lists that have, you know existed as far back as i can remember reading like rolling stone you know yeah i mean it, it,
0: like you like you were saying before i am curious to see if there are if there's a version of this kind of band in the 20, early 2020s that becomes more of a pop band that becomes the interpol or the editors yeah. of maximal park i don't know if we've heard that band yet or maybe dry cleaning pivots to that on their next record because i do think it, it, you know again i like new long leg i think it's like a quite a good record but i do question how they grow from that album i i feel like that album is something that it, it's so singular i don't know like if it, like if they just made another record like that i think it would be a huge case of diminishing returns i yeah i i, I, I I don't know, like, how you evolve from that very specific thing of, like, jagged guitars Mm -hmm. and someone talking over it without making a a pretty dramatic pivot from that. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. the next record is maybe going to be dramatically different. And if it's
1: not, maybe there'll be, like, a one-album wonder type band. You know what the sad thing is, man? Like, out of all these British post-punk bands, if we're talking about, like, the one that has... Uh, really stuck on a popular level at the level of, say, Interpol or, uh, you know, Block Party. The answer to that question, I hate to say it, is idols. (laughs) Like, they are, by a huge margin, the most popular of these acts. So, uh, maybe maybe we're getting what we really want and we just don't like what we've been given.
0: (laughs) I suppose. I still don't really know any idol songs, like, off the top of my head. There isn't, like, a song of theirs that has penetrated beyond the audience that loves this kind of music unless i've missed out on oh but that's it. A, it's a, it is a that. big audience i suppose i mean I, I feel like that has a lot to do with their live show too even more than their records i mean the people that i know that love that band they talk about how good they are live yeah. um so i don't know we'll see i, I but I, this definitely is going to be a thing i think for the rest of the year yep. again we have that black midi record coming out um i think that's Yeah, that one's good. (laughs) That that's May twenty. I guess that's next week. I think that comes out two weeks from now. Um, Is it two weeks from now? So it'll be interesting to talk about that. Uh, But for now, we're going to pivot into the meat of our episode. uh, Speaking uh, of seventies rock, (laughs) speaking of seventies rock. Uh, The first record we're going to be reviewing today is Daddy's Home by St. Vincent. And uh, this is the sixth St. Vincent record. It's uh, her first album in four years, coming after Mass Seduction in 2017. Uh, And uh, like Mass Seduction, it was produced by Annie Clark, along with Jack Antonoff. And um, this album has... uh, I guess been a gift for you and I because uh, t- you know there, there hasn't been a ton of music news in early twenty twenty one, but uh, the Saint Vincent uh, Daddy's Home album cycle has been pretty interesting and a little bit rough, I guess, yeah. for for Saint Vincent. Although you know things have quieted down a bit in like the past week or so, yeah. uh, but of course there was the whole thing about this being an album about her father. Uh, going to prison uh for white collar crimes. I believe he was a stockbroker that committed fraud to the tune of like I think it was like hundreds of millions of dollars. what so, did he uh, I, I invest
1: I think it was like 40 million or something like that. Let's not give him too okay, much sorry. credit. Tens of <laughs> millions
0: of dollars. Not hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars, my mistake. You know, and right.
1: um and then of course there was that
0: story about uh St. Vincent's uh, publicist supposedly having an interview bounced from yeah. a uh from a still unnamed publication um but now we finally have the record here yeah and it's a record that is uh consciously drawing from the tradition of as we said before 70s rock david bowie is a reference point on this record lou reed uh there's some sly stone style funk on the record Uh, really you know decadent druggy music that people still love and i i love all that music i love revisiting it so uh, this is definitely an album I should like on paper, um, but I don't know. How, how do you feel about this album?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you say uh, it sounds like the sort of thing I'd like on paper, which I think to me has been the St. Vincent experience as far back as I can remember, you know, like going back. By the way, like we want to talk about, you know, like the – we want like talk about like her past. I mean like this one she's been around so long. She was in Polyphonic Spree if I'm not mistaken. Like, That's this, right. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that angle gets underplayed. I think that's, you know, it's just kind of funny to think of uh, her being just, like, one of the 55 members of that band, but, you know... I saw it, her, for the first time, uh, opening for The National on the Boxer Tour. Ooh, yeah, that makes like, sense.
0: So, yeah, she's a true, like, indie rock legacy act. Yeah,
1: this is, like, yeah, this is straight up, like, Dark Was the Night uh, era, and... But as far back as like I've been you know, aware of her as a, a solo artist and talking about her in the public sphere, it's the like if I could make a composite sketch of the people with whom I talk about this artist like, you know, in real life, it's like, yeah, like I really respect St. Vincent and I think she's great. I, do I really like her music? I don't really know. And that's kind of been my experience with the music itself. In a lot of ways, it's very um, impressive uh it's very like uh well sculpted as far as image and sound and i think that this one it it, it's it's weird because usually she's kind of taken on like a more futuristic sort of bent with her music and now it's like oh i'm digging into you know bowie sly stone funk rock another thing that i would consider to be a a true north of you know the critical realm and also we got to mention like people were like oh my god is this controversy really going to Like, you know, is this, is this going to be her everything now? And it's like, dog, like, I think you can't extrapolate a couple of conversations on music critic Twitter with like the, you know, the greater conversation right now currently has like nearly a 90 on Metacritic. She's like, she is like, not like Dave Grohl, but she's still someone who you can rely on to like play the, a rock and roll hall of fame induction ceremony. She has like her own, um, line of guitars, she does have like this kind of raucous appeal that um you know, a lot of magazines or critics like feel like they should prop up is like this is how it's done uh and when I listen to this record, um, I don't feel a hell of a lot, you know it's like I almost wish it was more about actual crimes, you know it's like getting into the nitty gritty about like what it's like to um you know to to commit like five or eight figure fraud because when i when I hear it, it's like I still, in, in a good way, it's clearly still a St. Vincent album. It doesn't sound like warm and analog the way a lot of the reference points do. It still sounds very sharp and modern in its production. I do appreciate the fact there's a choral sitar uh, on a lot of songs, which is actually something I remember from the 90s more than the 70s. Uh, it was all over Siamese Dream, if I remember correctly. But um, yeah, I just think with this, with this album, um, I have to think it's like, is it, like I I always just hear St. Vincent. I don't really hear her disappearing into character. I think the way this album is trying to more so than her past ones. And I also like this. I think when you, when, when you consider how she's frequently compared to, you know, other icons of, um, constant reinvention and costume changing, be it like LCD, not LCD sound system, but more like, uh, you know, Prince or Madonna, Or Stevie Wonder. I mean, these are her comparative points, Um, and to me, it's just like I don't know. But like, where where are her songs? You know, even amongst yeah, I mean, yeah, even amongst the dark is the night crew. It's like you can think of a national song that's like hit on a level that like transcends just indie people or LCD Sound or even like Grizzly Bear and Dirty Projectors. I mean, like, what is the definitive Saint Vincent song?
0: Well, yeah, I. I think that is a question about her overall career and certainly about this album. And I have a similar experience with St. Vincent to You where there's a lot of... I, I, I admire about her on paper. You know, I think she clearly is a really smart person. I think that the way she goes about conceptualizing her records is always pretty interesting. I think that, you know, as a musician, she's obviously really talented. I, I When I did see her for the first time... Uh, on the boxer tour, opening for the National, I remember her playing a lot of guitar on that show and being like blown away by her guitar skills. I mean, it, you don't often see someone in indie rock who just like shreds on guitar, uh, so that was a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah. So there's all these elements to her that I think are there, and she obviously, uh, you know, she knows how to put a record together. I mean, she she knows what she's doing. But then when you actually put the record on, I'm always left with this feeling of like of coldness and airlessness and it it feels emotionally remote to me and i think just in general she's a lot of like brains and not a whole lot of heart or a whole lot of guts it reminds me of our ice age conversation last week where i feel like ice age they made a a decadent rock record in quote marks. It was yeah. like we're going to we're going to we're going to punch in the elements of what a decadent rock record is into a computer and it's going to spit <laughs> this music out. And yeah, it has a lot of the qualities of like music from the past that you associate with decadent rock music, but it doesn't have that central element that hits you in the gut or in the heart or makes you want to dance or makes you like want to drink too many <laughs> beers, you know, like which I think is an, an essential element of music like this. And with Daddy's Home, you know, if she's going to make a New York record, if she's going to make this grimy 70s rock record, which again, that's totally in my wheelhouse. That's right. totally the kind of music I love. And a lot of people love that. I mean, who doesn't love, uh, you know, 70s David Bowie or, yeah. you know, or Sly Stone? There's a riot going on. I mean, people, the, that's like the easiest music in the world to like. But the reason why people like that music is that you feel like, people in a room playing together and they're sweating and, you know, you you, you feel like you can, like, get a contact buzz off of the <laughs> records. There's, like, a real sense of soul to them. Whereas I feel like Daddy's Home, you know, it's so meticulous and it's so immaculately produced and everything is in the right place. And there's just no oxygen in this record at all. Yeah. Uh, I-, I just feel like it's so flat. And, it, again, it has all the elements there. <laughs> That you on paper that should work, but when it comes to the speakers, it's just like this is not hitting me where it should.
1: Yeah, I think like this album kind of paints you into a corner because, like, the thing that makes it a St. Vincent album as opposed to like something like the Bruno Mars, Anderson Pac thing, like Silk Sonic, which is just straight up like 70s homage, like cover band stuff, is that you know, that is the uh, distinct quality of St. Vincent music that it is like cerebral, it is kind of cold and removed and it's like you know it should like are we're I feel like we're kind of being like pressed to appreciate that you know rather than thinking like yeah, maybe that's not for me but it's like well no, that is how she is putting her signature on this style of music and you know I, if I can think about it like academically, enough i'm like yeah i can appreciate that because i mean when you look at like david bowie like maybe this is like her version of a let's dance or something like that like kind of costumery but i think it comes back down to it's like uh, are the like am i thinking about this music or am i actually enjoying it like maybe if i was like more um i don't know involved in the critical conversation and i needed to you know be into this record to just i don't know justify spending so much time thinking about music i could talk myself into it you know I just wonder, though, it's like how I just really wonder, like how popular is St. Vincent? Because to me, in my like when I've seen her at festivals, she's always like the band's always been the type to like get to like under where they are on the festival thing. Like, you know, you they're not going to be able to like anchor a night the way like LCD Sound System or Vampire Weekend to think about like her peers or like the national like but it's or LCD Sound System, but it's. Uh, but it's also not quite at the level of, say, even Arcade Fire circa the suburbs. I just don't know. Like, I, I just always find the conversation around it, like, the, the, her record's fascinating because it's like, no, this is the new Prince. This is the new Bowie. And it's like, well, yeah, David Bowie also made mu- like songs like Let's Dance, you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they 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 wrote pop songs along yeah. with esoteric art music. You know, yeah. And, yeah. You mentioned Let's Dance. There's like three monster hit songs from that record. Yeah. Uh, that if you don't like David Bowie or you don't know who he is, you may still know like Modern Love or Let's Dance yeah. or or whatever those songs are. Yeah. I mean, I think Saint Vincent. And we talked about this before. She's at that level where I think, I think in the indie world, uh, you know, she's. Um, a legacy act i she seems like one of the big stars i will say that like she is an example of an indie performer who actually does have a persona that is kind of interesting i mean there aren't a lot of indie Uh stars who are like that uh you know there is this conceptual aspect of her that uh i think elevates her a bit into she she like looks like a star. She acts like a star in a way yeah. that a lot of indie musicians don't. Um but yeah she's not a pop star. She hasn't crossed over in the way say Lana Del Rey has, where yeah. Lana Del Rey is another huge indie star, but she also has a lot of pop uh pull at this yeah. point. So yeah, I mean and we talked about we alluded to this earlier. I mean I mean she has been around now for, for, for quite a while. Uh like take almost fifteen, 15 years. years. Yeah. And so, you know, in terms of her being at like a Coachella or something, I mean, I do I do think that probably the people that are into her are also the people that are into the national, that are into, yeah. uh, you know, the other big sort of like indie legacy acts now. Like, I yeah. think that's probably her audience more than like a really young audience. <laughs> I don't know. Man. That, that, that's my suspicion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, like my guess is that the people who are really into St. Vincent are the people like me yeah. who saw her open up for the National like a long time <laughs> ago and, and have stayed with her throughout her entire career. Um, and And maybe they'll be into this record. I mean, again, the things that you and I don't like about it, <laughs> apparently a lot of people do like a, about it. Yeah. So based on my reaction... To if, it, which is kind of the same of every every other Saint Vincent record. If if you've liked every other Saint Vincent record, you will probably like this one too. Yeah, I mean, that's my feeling because I don't feel like it's that. It, it definitely seems like a piece with her catalog, Um and it, it's part of her progression in her career. So it definitely makes sense in terms of her overall sort of arc right now. So yeah, so take our words with a grain of salt. If you love her, yeah, you're probably, you're probably like gonna this like too. this record. If, if you're like me and Ian, and you're like a little, ass, yeah. uh, this leaves me a little cold, you're probably, probably. going to
1: react that too. Yeah. We're probably going to have the same conversation about the next St. Vincent album in like 2024. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, let's move on to our next record, which is Delta
0: Cream yes. with a K by the Black Keys. Uh, this is uh, their first album since Let's Rock, which I believe came out in
1: 2019.
0: Ugh. And... Um, they've been really doing these album titles where I wonder to what degree there's like a self-conscious like wink at the audience. Like let's rock to me seem like kind of a wink at the audience. And that, that, must've known that that album title was in quotes.
1: Yeah. That album title was in quotes too.
0: Right. So I, I feel like they, my sense of those two guys is is that they have a sense of humor about themselves. I don't think they take themselves all that seriously. So I feel like there was probably an intentional wink there. Um, but now we go into Delta Cream, and yeah, this is a collection of of, of blues rock covers, and uh, I like bringing in blues rock. We talked about ska, <laughs> we've talked about you know jam bands, we're, we're bringing in blues rock, all these genres that we often don't talk about in an indie uh, music context. Um, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this album <laughs> first, because I feel like I'm much more well-versed in the black keys than you are like you've not really
1: listened to them at all right yeah it's this this album reminds me of like being 23 years old and like having like looking at all music guide to try to figure out where to begin with this band that has like a body of work and um for me it's like wait how have i been a functioning adult in the music critic sphere since like 2003 and never listened to an actual black keys album like yeah, i'm I, surprised I, yeah I, i'm surprised too because i mean like when you think about like their epitaph slash fat possum days or whatever uh you know th- i i see them as like this i was all i was so trying to find bands that would help me connect with like you know like my like the more normal people in my friend group, you know, like Wilco was a big band for that. My Morning Jacket was a big band for that, and I figure like, why not Black Keys? And it's um so I started with Rubber Factory. That one I think was the I think that's like kind of the one that's like cool, right? If, am I not mistaken, is that seen as like you know their their artistic peak? is that even remotely accurate
0: well sort of i mean i i really like that record a lot i would say that you know there's this period that they go through in the aughts where they're this uh sort of mid-level blues rock band that is in the shadow are. of the white stripes yeah you know definitely in the shadow of the white stripes and then they make this transition with the record brothers yeah which came out i believe in 2010 10, 10, yeah where that becomes a big hit because of the single Tighten Up. Yeah, that's is, where they uh, get which, into like Danger Mouse. And so. Right. And, and then they put out their next record, El Camino, which was yeah, another huge, huge hit. hit. And then and then they became an arena band. Yeah. After that.
1: So my experience with like Black Keys is that like I'm aware of their existence. I may have heard their songs by accident. But like I actually sat down, uh, put Rubber Factory on in my car and like it just sort of uh confirm my suspicions like oh yeah this is like the white stripes if like they were actually like a blues band it didn't do like all that weird art stuff i mean you like it's okay i'm like yeah this is okay i guess this is not what i expected um it made me think a little bit about uh blues hammer uh now this is a like we there were recent conversations about the best um fictional rock bands in TV and movies, and I I didn't see enough conversation around Ghost World's Blues Hammer of I I think this was so on point that it kind of eliminated this band from the public sphere just like that kind of like I'm going to break you like I'm thinking of Metallica's but it did <laughs> like not- I guess not
0: I love Blues Hammer I love that joke and the Black Keys have been compared to Blues Hammer in the past I think unfairly because yeah they aren't because I feel like the Blues Hammer thing is making fun of the type of you know white dude blues which is very much about technical proficiency you know being a, a guitar hero uh, and going back to the tropes of mississippi delta type blues yeah. where you're singing about working in the field and you know picking <laughs> cotton and all this stuff which the black keys don't do yeah. but i mean you know there's joe Bonamassa, like that guy <laughs> is still huge he actually made a, a live record that was made at Red Rocks, where I think uh, it's a tribute record to Muddy Waters, or maybe uh, it's Holly Wolf. One of those guys. It might be both. <laughs> and there's some pretty funny, like unintentionally hilarious moments, like on that uh, record, where it's very blues hammer-y. You know, I, I interviewed Patrick Carney, the drummer for uh, the Black Keys, many years ago, uh, probably 15 years ago, when they were putting out Magic Potion. And he talked about how much he doesn't like blues. Like, he says, I'm not really into blues music at all. He comes from more of, like, a punk rock background, more of, like, garage rock type stuff. And I do think that, like, the Black Keys and the Aughts were basically just, like, a rock band that had some blues elements to it. But they, I think those records slot more in sort of the garage rock lane more than, like, a strict blues lane. And this new record, even though it is a blues covers album harkens back to those albums in a way that the Black Keys really haven't done since, you know, before Brothers, basically. I mean, in the the 2010s, the Black Keys became a pop band in a lot of ways. Yeah, And, you know, people like to drag the Black Keys, but, like, they are one of the only straightforward rock bands to really make a dent in pop music in the last decade. Like, you go on Spotify... That song Lonely Boy, which was, I think, the first single from El Camino, it has like 300 million streams, you know, which if you're just a blues band, like you're not going to do those kind of numbers. I mean, there's obviously a pop appeal to the Black Keys. I mean, there was also the fact, too, that this band was like the sound of corporate America for yeah. a few years. They were like in every commercial and oh, every yeah. trailer. It was either them or... A band that sounded Brothers
1: is like kind of like the Moby play of its ilk, you know. Yeah, it was licensed
0: like to the hilt. But also, if a company couldn't get the Black Keys, they would just like hire musicians to make a track yeah. that sounded like the Black Keys. So, like, if you're selling like hot wings or tires or beer or you know anything <laughs> you like that, white you shit. had a you had a Black Keys uh, sounding uh, thing in there. So they definitely had their moment. And I have to say, like, this record it was a pleasant surprise for me, this D- Delta Cream, because like, did, did you listen to Delta Cream at all? Yeah,
1: I mean, I listened to it and it's like, yeah, this is just not my thing. I'm, like, thinking back to what it was like to get, like, Guitar World and Guitar Player back in the mid-90s. And, like, they would have, like, one Stevie Ray Vaughan song in, like, you know, alongside, say, How to Play, like, Hole's Doll Parts or, like, Longview or something like that. I mean, it's like cool, but it's like I have just so little interest in this style of music that uh, I mean, I appreciate that it exists. I appreciate the fact that like the Black Keys are really leaning into their lack of coolness, you know. Like I don't, th- I don't think they're trying anymore to like appeal to uh, people who might make a blues hammer joke about them, which I respect more than like the actual music. I'm glad it exists. I mean, like think about like putting out a blues cover album in 2021, you know. Well, and they're also not
0: trying to have pop hits either. I mean, you know, they're not trying to appeal to sort of indie snobs, and they're not trying to appeal to a pop audience either. I mean, in a way, this feels like a record for Black Keys fans who love the aughts era albums, and then they weren't into the Danger Mouse albums. I know that that constituency exists out there (laughs) that feels like, oh, they got away from their more sort of raw sound that they had in the aughts i mean look this is like a chugel rock record essentially which is right up my alley very lots of mid-tempo like chunky sounding songs and i think it sounds pretty good i mean my complaint about delta cream is that it should have been an ep i think if this Uh, were like a five or six song album it would hit a lot harder as it is I think it's about 12, 12 to 14 songs. Yeah. It just gets a little repetitive over the course of the album and I feel like uh you know you made your point on the first <laughs> half of the record maybe that should have just been it. They actually did put out an EP of Junior Kimbro songs like about a dozen years ago that's oh, yeah. quite good too. Um so yeah I I think this would have been better as an EP but I don't know again like I didn't have high expectations going into this because I didn't really like Let's Rock and I haven't really liked the last couple of Black Keys albums but I thought this album was actually like pretty good. And yeah. I think if you like the Black Keys, you know, in the aughts, if you like Rubber Factory and uh Thick Freakness records like that, <laughs> I think this might be more up your alley.
1: I just like the fact that, you know, when you when you talk about like Patrick Carney like kind of hating blues rock, uh what makes like the way I enter this record is thinking Oh man, they're making like a record this guy hates. I always like to think of the band dynamic when you could tell like one of the members is totally not into it. So, yeah. Well, know. I mean, the thing, the thing with the Black Keys, and you you mentioned the White Stripes before. I mean the, I mean, and this is kind of an, I,
0: this is something I realized as I was putting together the outline that you know we were talking about St. Vincent being a little too uptight and the Black Keys being a little anonymous. That like maybe St. Vincent and the Black Keys should make a record together because they could loosen up St. Vincent and she could give them more of a conceptual bent. But then I realized, well, that's just the White Stripes. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, like, <laughs> you know, so that that's essentially, but like you know the thing with Jack White is that he is more of a blues purist in a lot of ways than I think the guys in the Black Keys are. The Black Keys, to me, you know, they just sound like bad company. You know, or they sound I wish seventies like blues rock band. I think they do on Rubber Factory. There's some, like, really catchy songs on that record. You should go back to that. That's a good album. Um, But, like, you know, they're not doing that thing where Jack White is, you know, building guitars out of a tree that he chopped down on his (laughs) property in Tennessee. And, you know, dressing like... He's a blacksmith from uh, the (laughs) 1800s. You know, they don't really do that thing. They're just two guys in a rock band from Akron, Ohio. Yeah. That have this blues element. I think Dan Auerbach is more of the blues guy. Patrick Carney is more of a a, a punk fan, I think. You know, I think especially like that tradition of like Ohio punk music, Pierre Abu and Devo and stuff like that. I think that's where he's coming from more. So that's how you end up with this thing um but yeah i don't know i i I feel like this band is a little underappreciated
1: yeah i think Uh, so
0: i think they're good at what they do and and again like i think this record you know i would maybe make a playlist of five or six songs that i like the most from this record and have that be my version of delta cream i think that would be good i think overall it gets a little samey but the best parts of it i think are actually quite good All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first?
1: So for my recommendation, so I want to recommend the movie Mitchell vs. Machines. It's a great movie that came out a few weeks ago. It's on Netflix. Um, Because within like the first, like literally the first two minutes, you hear The May She, uh, a band that was awesome and they broke down in 2008 or 2009. Also Los Campesinos. I believe uh, You, Me, Dancing also played uh, as the intro music, which, I mean, it's a kid's movie, but also like that 2008 indie rock sound, Dan Deacon, I think is also in there as well. Um, But Los Campesinos, maybe one of my favorite bands of the 21st century. To me, they're just a perfect alignment of like emo, but also like the absurdity of modern life. I mean, uh, of British post-punk, they bring that element as well. And uh, they haven't had a record come out since 2017, I believe. But they put out a EP on Bandcamp called Whole Damn Body, which is an EP of B sides and rarities that uh, comes from their 2011 album Hello Sadness, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary. And I mean, this anything this band puts out to me is like must listen. They're almost like an anti ice age in a way where they're just like every album they get is like acclaimed, but like it never ever really breaks through uh, to the point where they have like, Oh yeah, that's the one classic. Um, I don't know. There's just an enormous influence on modern emo. They actually call themselves the UK's first and only emo band in their Twitter bio. So, I mean, I could do an entire episode about this band, but whole damn body is the new EP. It's on Bandcamp. It might hit streaming soon, uh, it just kind of shows just how deep the well is for this band. And I really hope they come back in 2021 with something new.
0: You know, this is a band I've never really listened to. I've heard like songs here and there, but I have not dug in deep. But I know that there's like a constituency out there that is passionate about them. They're the best. Um, <laughs> so at some point, I want to I wanna investigate. They, they It sounds like something that I should be more into than I am to right now. So... Thank you for that reminder to check out Los Campesinos. Uh, I want to talk about a record called Topaz by uh, a guy named Israel Nash. Uh, Israel Nash, he's a singer-songwriter from Texas. And in a way, he's about what you'd expect based on that short description. You know, he has a soulful voice. He has plain-spoken but poetic lyrics. Definitely part of that you know, tradition of great Texas singer-songwriters. Uh, but musically... He diverges from that template with these big, spacey, dreamy, psychedelic soundscapes that uh, have, like, these beautiful pedal steel guitar lines and, like, these big sort of choirs of, like, angelic female voices. Uh, and he's been cultivating this sound for a while. The first record of his I heard was called Rain Plans, which came out in 2013. Um, and he continues to refine it, and I think it really uh, blossoms on this new record called Topaz. Um if I was gonna do a somewhat reductive, but I think fairly accurate uh <laughs> summation of this record, I would say that I would say that it's like if Towns Van Zant made his version of the Dark Side of the Moon. Like that's oh. what this record sounds like. Again, you have this great Texas voice at the at the center, but then you have these beautiful, you know, soul psychedelic.
1: Great gig in the sky stuff going on.
0: Yeah, really good stuff. And you know, there's other people that have worked in this lane before. I mean, friend of the podcast strand of oaks has made like a couple of records in this vein that are really great there's also like a really good ray la record that he made with Whoa. My own Jacket that came <laughs> out like a decade ago i think maybe 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 not that quite that long that, but that's like a quite a good record and it's like a similar type of vibe to this israel nash record but i like it a lot and again i think it's a well-timed album because this is the kind of record that you want to hear where you know in, where i live it's finally warm outside. You can go out. You can watch the stars in warm weather, and you want to put on a record like this. It really hits the spot. So again, that's called Topaz. It's by a guy named Israel Nash. So go check that out.
1: Yeah, that's um, a, definitely sounds like something made in the Haydn factory. Yes, it is <laughs>
0: straight in, st- straight up Haydn core. So yeah. thank you, Israel Nash, for delivering there. Um, we have now reached the end of another episode of IndieCast. Uh, but we want to thank you for all for listening, and we'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.